Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Indeed it is, Hum. Today we did something a little bit different. Obviously, we're going to spend some more time over the course of the summer discussing what's to come for the Cincinnati Bearcats, when we end up playing basketball, is there going to be a season? There should be all of those things. I'm an optimist. But in the meantime, there is a Bearcat fan on Twitter who has been doing something really fun and interesting, and uh, it's coming to a conclusion this week. We are joined today by Neil Slayton, who has been running a Cincinnati Bearcats fan favorite tournament, 64 players, I think actually a few more when you count the playing games, but some of the all-time greatest Bearcats, most memorable Bearcats, Bearcats that, that everybody has grown to love over the course of being a fan of this basketball program, and I, I thought it was worth having him on the podcast to talk about. Yeah, we had some fantastic conversations. I did learn, unfortunately, about the quad squad. Uh, still, still not sure exactly what the quad squad is. I'm still, are, I'm still reeling from the quad squad. Yeah, reeling from the quad squad. Can't believe that that's a real thing. Uh, but you can find Neil's tournament at Bearcat Neil on Twitter. Hashtag UC fan favorite tournament. Just search for the hashtag. You'll have the tweets pop up. It's super easy. Having fun. Um, we're going to get in and we're going to talk about the tournament. We are now joined by Neil Slayton, lifelong fan of the Bearcats, former UC graduate and creator of the UC fan favorite tournament. Neil, thank you for joining the podcast today. Hey, guys. I appreciate you having me. Um, I've always enjoyed listening uh, to you guys. Well, Neil, to be honest, the reason we wanted to have you on today is uh, probably obvious. You've been putting on for the last couple of weeks uh, the hashtag UC fan favorite tournament. It has been really fun to vote and just check in on that to see, you know, who the most popular Bearcats are. Um, at this point, we're wrapping up. It looks like the Elite Eight round of the tournament. There's a few matchups left. Uh, the remaining... the that round was Kenyon versus Jaron, Sean versus Logan, uh, Sean Kilpatrick, that is, Jason Maxiel versus Gary Clark, Van Exel versus Levitt. But before we dive into those guys, it'd be fun to talk about how we got here, uh, how the seedings work. So maybe you could just give folks a sense of how you came up with the tournament, the seedings, and, and even the regions. Yeah, so... I'd kind of been putting out uh, polls about UC basketball ever since we've been in quarantine just to have us discuss some basketball when, you know, season got cut short. And and I threw out a, a tweet about a question of, hey, who's your favorite Bearcat? I'll put like four into a poll and, and we'll, we'll have this poll. And I got 135 responses or something on, on that tweet with just a bunch of these names and, you know, flooding back memories of all these players. So someone suggested, hey, put it into a tournament. So, um, being that I have, you know, don't really have a life, I decided that was something uh, to do. Um, and, and I really seeded it out. The top 20 or 30 seeds, and I made an S-curve, those were mostly just based on the number of mentions that I got. So I literally went and, like, tick-marked, you know, Kenyon Martin, Nick Van Exel, all these check marks, and I seeded the guys probably down to about maybe 25 or 30. 
Uh, and then I got a bunch of players who were just mentioned once, you know, just a, an oddball personal favorite of somebody's. And and those those guys kind of got seated down to maybe 50 or 55. And then I came up with a few more names um, at the end who, just as I went and looked back through um, old UC teams, and decided to make the 16 seeds uh, to have some walk-on. So they got some walk-on love in, in the mentions. Everybody loves to walk-on. So <laughs> We, we made we made playing games for the 16 seats, walk-ons versus who I thought were kind of very random one one mention guys like Jackson Jolson, um, Mike Williams, the one-year transfer from Texas in one of Mick's earlier years. Uh, so kind of made those guys those scholarship guys to 16 seeds, and then made Meeker, Meacham, Tobler, and Connor Barwin the uh, the 16 seed walk-ons. So, and I want to just kind of address this. It looks like none of the kind of historic Bearcats were included in the tournament itself. Oscar, yeah. Twyman, Cummings, yeah. Hogue. It, was that intentional, I guess? That had to be intentional. Yeah, we, we decided, and again, that was just some conversation with folks. Um, a lot of folks said, let's start at the 92 team and on, and, and, and I wanted to start with just kind of Huggins and on. Right. Um, just figuring most people, a lot of people aren't going to know some of the older players. Um not even just not knowing them, but you really haven't seen them play, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, exactly. I'm a fairly young fan, and I haven't. I mean, I've watched some YouTube clips of Oscar. We just sure to put it in a personal Cincy slang and context. We just created a, a king of the court graphic where there was six yeah, teams, and it, we basically did the same thing, right? I don't think the cutoff was '92, but it was the modern era of basketball, yeah. and there was some kind of you know, griping about not including Oscar. And I just think yeah. it's such a different generation of basketball. It's changed so much. Uh, it could, it's kind of an, there's an obvious reason why, why there's a cutoff, but you did pay homage to them. I did. Yeah. I, I named the, the regions after Oscar and Twyman and, and Pat Cummings and, and Roger McClendon. So, um, that's, uh, that's how I paid homage to him. Great. Great. Well, Hummer, I'll let you kick things off here. Let's, uh, Let's poke and prod at the at the seating a little bit here and, and talk about well, some of these guys. I thought it would be actually be fun to talk about how some of the the older guys, you know the phrase has, has been popular over the last like six months, maybe a year. Okay, boomer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so I'm we not were, quite that old guys, but <laughs> Oh, it wasn't you. It's it's it was talking about the people who were we've we got actually a decent I would say a decent amount of flack of people saying, Well, where's Pat Cummings? Where's where's Oscar yeah. Robinson? Can we create a team? for the winning team with these players. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, legitimately, how many people watched them play? How many people were in their 20s watched Oscar play? Like, yeah. one that are using Twitter, too. And on think, Twitter, exactly. And yeah. I, got a, I got a little bit of that. I got Even after I explained that it was Huggins and on, I got a little bit of, where's Paul Hogue, where's this, where's that? And, you know, Lloyd Batts, somebody was big on, on Lloyd Batts, who I really don't even remember. But um, um, it's You included them. Like, so I think... You didn't have them voted on, but I think it's actually almost even more respectful to say they don't need to be voted on. They are favorites by naming regions after yeah. them because it's obvious Oscar Robertson is incredibly important to the University of Cincinnati, given the yeah. fact that he has a statue outside of our yeah. stadium. So uh, clearly, you know, the most important Bearcat in our history, uh, Jack Twyman, also in incredibly important. We're paying homage to these guys or you're paying homage to these guys by naming the regions after him. Yeah, and, and Coomer, Coomer doesn't necessarily agree with me on this one, but when we kick around these ideas of these lists, sometimes I go in and say, well, why don't we exclude Kenyon Martin? Because he's an, another obvious. Yeah. Like, 
He's going to be very hard to take down in this tournament. Let's oh, face if, it. Yeah, if, if he doesn't, <laughs> I'll be shocked if he doesn't win it. So, yeah, you could say why we spent three weeks determining Kenyon Martin's our favorite player. I don't know. but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a chance, you know, you can't you can't you can't uh, undersell some of the other people. But oh, I think that yeah. that's an idea we've always kicked around because it's like Kenyon Martin. He's no duh. That's where when we made our graphic, we intentionally made uh, Kenyon's team this the the, the surrounding weakest. players around him the weakest he, he, he gave him armin kirkland i like armin yeah I, thought... I, I i always had a soft spot for armin he uh he never quite put it together he was starting to i think his senior year when he got hurt agreed agreed so you know what hummer i'm gonna kick it off here and just and ask about this seating in particular because i can't tell if it's ironic or not we got to talk about quadri more <laughs> what's yes. go- what's going on there <laughs> Well, there's there's an element on on uh, on Twitter called the Quad Squad. You guys aren't familiar with the Quad Squad. I've heard I've quad heard of the Quad Squad. Quad Squad. Uh, he actually got he got a lot of mentions. I think a lot of it's kind of ironic. Um, so there was a little bit of irony putting that quad ring. There's a couple of Twitter Twitter guys who uh, who are who are always talking about quads. So um, actually, people I I had them complain that he should he should have been better than a 12 seed. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh my lord! I saw that, and I'm like, "How the heck did, did Quadri even become a 12 seed? Was that a play-in I, game? Did he win a play-in game to no, get no, into I, the I, tournament?" I, I put him as a 12 because he does. He got. A, he actually got enough mentions that he should have been like a three seed or something. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I figured, you know, he can't complain. This I gave him a chance for a classic 12-5 upset, but I put him against Bobbitt, who I know is very popular. So I figured gotcha. he wasn't going to actually beat Bobbitt. So I didn't want him to win, but. Um, is he the only player on this list who who made the tournament while transferring out of UC? Uh, Devin Downey was a sixteen. Oh, Devin Downey. Okay, he, he, but he he wasn't a playing game. I mean, and he uh, obviously he transferred um, after the AK year. Um, now Devin Downey makes more sense. I mean, obviously he's a much better player, but at the yeah. same time, everyone kind of understood yeah. the circumstances. I mean, there was incredible yeah. disappointment when he transferred. He was definitely one of the guys where I thought, man, he's going to stay here four years and be be one of the legends. I mean, he was yeah. so exciting and had, had the personality that you'd want from a Bearcat. Um, certainly some regret there, but it makes sense to see him as a lower, what, 16 yeah. seed in this 16 because he played the one. Right. Um, Octavia Sell was transferred and came back, but I think that's the only, um, I think that's the only one. And then we had, we had a couple of one-year guys, um, you know, Gamar Johnson, right. Antonio, you know, they were kind of lower seeds because they only played here one year. Dermar is kind of lucky as the one-year guy where, you know, we've interviewed him. He's he's really popular for a one-year guy. You know, I thought yep. there's some others like uh, Lance Stevenson who's far less popular. Yeah, I think it's because Dermar played on that such an epic team, you know, probably the most exactly. popular team in Cincinnati that he's he's regarded so well. Yeah, and, and he's still been around the program, right? He was, exactly. He was, you know, with, with Mick, he was, I don't know exactly what his title was, but he was a student assistant or something, I think. Yep. Yeah. Well, when we first saw the one with Quadri Moore, I kind of I lost my shit. I, like, I I think people would have rioted if I didn't include Quad. So I I, I threw I threw that's him not why I did though, because I, when I saw Connor Barwin as a 16 seed, I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Quadri Moore gets a 12 seed, and Connor Barwin. <laughs> now I know he's more famous for football than exactly. he is 100 percent for basketball. But man, I was like, we should flip those seeds. <laughs> Think Connor could have made a run from the 12 seed? I think Connor could have made a run for it. We have some 
I don't know if you listened to our our friend uh, Cam Pap on the podcast telling his story about Connor Barwin. Yeah, I, I, did, yes. <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. Yes. He holds a special place in our hearts. Let, and let me take a quick and step. Cam's eyes. True. <laughs> Cam's eyes. <laughs> let me take a step back, Neil. I'm actually going to have you explain this quad squad thing to me. Because until we started the podcast, I had basically been off of social media. And so I probably missed, I must have missed what this meant. I actually thought the quad squad, when I heard about this, I thought it was like a completely ironic thing, kind of poking fun at you know, the struggles that quad had on the court. Is it, is it something beyond that? Like, is is there an actual truly genuine, we liked this guy, this guy's game? Well, there's, there, there's two guys and I'll call them out. Hopefully they are listening. Stuart Gilchrist and James Freeman on, on Twitter, who I've been longtime followers of and kind of part of the, the Bearcat Twitter community. And, um, I, I, I think they're somewhat legitimate fans, but I I think there's, there's irony in it as well. I think it just, it's, it's kind of became its own little, a uh, little sideshow here, if you will, I guess, where, uh, you know, when, whenever I, when I, when I first tweeted out, who's your favorite Bearcat? I mean, they were one of the first replies with oh, pictures beautiful. of Quadri and, and, and everything. And I mean, he, I think he was, wasn't he a four-star guy who came in? I mean, he came in with a little bit of pedigree that we thought he was going to be good. And, you know, he made a shot or two every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first game I saw him. Actually, I mean, he was he was built nice. He he had a yeah. nice uh, he had a nice physique. He kind of reminded me a little bit of like Jaron Cumberland coming in with that big you know yeah, big yeah. body. He's a big guy, yeah. And he, I think he drained a three for his very first shot of his career at a game. And I'm like, and it the shot looked good. He looked good. And I'm like, I think I sent a text to all my friends. I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait to see more of this Quadri Moore guy. <laughs> and then we got our wish. <laughs> and, and yes, and, and it, was, yeah. it was a train wreck. I don't. I don't want to sit here and beat up Quadri more too much. I mean, we uh, we tend to try to be as positive as possible in terms of former players. But Connor Barwin. So Hummer, you think Connor Barwin should have been higher than a 16 seed, even though he was just kind of a fill-in body when the, when the program needed players. Yeah, I mean, well, you're talking about like fan favorites. Yeah. And because he has that football side to him, he carries a weight of additional fans behind him. They may not know him for basketball, but he's going to have that larger fan base behind him because. I mean, and he's he's just fantastic. No, and that and that's that's true. And um, but you know, I end up putting all the, the walk-ons on sixteen. I mean, you can make a case for a lot of the walk-ons. You know, Tobler, everyone loves hashtag Tobler time. time. Um, Meech, Meech is doing a lot with his podcast, and he he's pretty popular now. Uh, John Meeker's pretty popular. So I mean, all the walk-ons. Everybody loves when the walk-ons get in, right? Yeah, I mean, Hummer's Rob Banks' biggest fan. We didn't get to see him last year, but he's he's dying to see Rob Banks take take the court. My God. I just really want to see a game where we have every walk on on the court because we are just so handedly destroying the other team. I would like to see it happen against Houston this year. (laughs) That's my dream is to see uh, Rob Banks in against Houston. I I, I have a feeling that that may be reverse if it's against Houston and maybe that we're down by so much because they're going to be really good. Yeah, actually, I just saw they got, uh, I think it was Jerry Palm put them in the preseason top five. If if those guys stay, if if Hinton stays, and I think Jerome declared too, if if they stay, yeah, they're going to be tough. So, were there any I, top five, top six seeds who went down early in the tournament? Yeah, the the, the one, and it was disappointing to me was uh, Lou Lou Banks, Louis Banks, and and some some of the more recent folks may not remember him. He was on the very first couple of Huggins teams um, prior to the the Final Four team, and he was kind of the 
my first favorite UC player back. Um, you know, I mentioned off the air, my, my both my parents went to UC, and so they're big basketball fans. And um, watching Lou Banks in like 89, 90, um, he was just, you know, slasher kind of wing player, really liked him. So he was a personal favorite of mine. Some others mentioned him as well. So I put him as a four seed. Um, and Keith Williams was a 13. And Keith didn't get a whole lot of mentions, um, but I thought he deserved to be on there. Um, and then, and Keith ended up beating um, Lou, Lou Banks, which, you know, again, disappointing to me because of, you know, my personal feelings about Lou Banks. But again, that's that recency bias of, I got a lot of who, who was Lou Banks. Um, right. Well, I'm, I'm, so, I'm going to date myself. I mean, that was definitely before I was yeah. actively like consciously watching Cincinnati yeah. Bearcats basketball. So given the, given the age and probably av- mean age of Twitter, it was probably <clears throat> yeah. an uphill battle for old Lou. Yeah. And then, uh, Let's see. Another one I was surprised with. Well, Corey Blunt made it to the Sweet 16. He was an 11 seed. Not a lot of folks mentioned Corey, um, but he beat Kyle Washington in the the first round. Okay. Um, and Kyle, which I, I mean, you know, Kyle, two year player, but I, he he did get some mentions. I think he was a little bit of a love hate guy, Kyle. Sometimes. Yeah, I think Kyle is definitely one of those polarizing Polar. players. Where yep. I mean, Hummer, early. I think one of our first episodes, you declared. Kyle Washington, your least favorite player in Bearcat history. Yeah, and I stand okay. by that. Okay. <laughs> For what reason? I don't know. I just it, it's just I didn't like it. I didn't like his style of play. Okay. The I didn't see him as Mr. Clutch. Every time he would pull up and shoot a three, I would find myself screaming not to do it. <laughs> he gave himself uh, the ultimate green light. That is for sure. Like yeah. he had no apprehension about launching a three-pointer like you know he's kind of a black hole-ish player where the ball gets to him it's usually not going to leave his hands i liked him yes you know overall he was productive i love that he could stretch the floor and he had a really good personality i thought so he's a he was a likable guy in my eyes never never looked good shooting the ball no sometimes sometimes it went in but i helped him go down in round one i helped him there you go i helped Corey blunt to the upset Okay, and then and then Blunt took out the gunslinger Lozell Durden, which again, wow, um, and and, and Liz, Lizelle's, you know a couple years younger I think than Corey Blunt, but he was he's pretty popular too. So I was I was surprised that that Blunt made so it maybe, to the uh, Sweet Sixteen. Maybe Corey Blunt got the Final Four bump, you know, you know the, the Final Four bump. Yeah, maybe NBA bump. I mean, he right. you know, he played in the NBA for a lot of years. Came back as an assistant coach under Andy Kennedy, so he's yeah, he's been true. in Cincinnati around the program. That might help a little bit as well. Yeah. Um, let's see. We what else interested me? Eric Hicks was a guy I thought as a five seed may have been primed for like a Final Four run. I thought he was one of my wild cards that was outside of the norm to maybe maybe take like Jason Maxiel's place as being someone okay. who was really popular. Now he ran into a buzzsaw. Who did he ran into? Gary Clark. He got Gary Clark. Yeah, people love Gary Clark. Who is, yeah, he was just one of the most beloved recent Mick Cronin Bearcats, I'd say. And what surprised me about that matchup is it was like an 80-20 split. It wasn't even close. Yeah, it, it was. And Hicks took out Emmanuel McElroy. He, again, another personal favorite of mine. Um, but, you know, Hicks is a four-year player. Um, but I loved IMAC back in the day, just his... His lockdown defense, he had some hops too. So, so IMAC, but, yeah. IMAC was actually one of the last cuts from our King of the Court tournament. We actually oh, okay. had him on a roster, and I forget who we put in his place. It oh, was it, it was difficult. I'm, I'm like you. I love Emmanuel McElroy. Yeah. Loved his defense. You know, wasn't the best shooter, but a lot of athleticism and oh, yeah. good two years with the Bearcats. 
we were it was because we were we we figured we could not do that without having Melvin Levitt's name on the page. Oh right, like oh, yeah. that would right. have been yeah. it would have been horrible to do that. Um, so we were going back and forth between two players. I forget who the other one was now. It was I think Kirkland. It, came down it was I think it Kirkland. was Armin Kirkland or Emmanuel Kirkland. McElroy, and, and I just have I think it's Armin's ability to be six eight kind of ball handle take it to like he could do a little bit of everything he just never did it at the highest level like we never really saw the peak of armin kirkland in my mind i think we gave armin kirkland the nod because he had been four years and if i'm not mistaken emmanuel was uh he was a two-year guy yeah we went with we rewarded the four years with a spot in our tournament (laughs) so let's talk about a guy who maybe maybe his game never like was reached the highest level, but was incredibly popular, like popular beyond his, his actual skills. I'm going to throw out Justin Jackson because his first, his first three years weren't all that great. His fourth year, his senior year, he was incredibly exciting, chased down blocks, had the mean face, obviously. How did he end up doing in this tournament? He got, I'm looking, I think he got a nine seed. He He faced, he faced Damon Flint. He beat Damon Flint, um, so that was an eight-nine matchup. And then, oh, but he then he ran into Van Axel. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. See, he's a guy where if he maybe gets a break in his round, like a seven seed or a six seed, I bet he would have been, made it pretty far. It feels like he would have been popular. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. Um, well, let's uh, Hummer. Any other any or or Neil? Either of you have any other kind of obscure Bearcats you'd like to talk about before we make our way to the final eight here? Hmm. Obscure Bearcats. Already talked about. <laughs> there, there was a lot of. I didn't really like this guy that much, but there was a lot of Jihad Muhammad love or Jihad Muhammad. Yeah. I, I I I just remember a little bit of the Kyle Washington, like you mentioned. I just. Not that necessarily he's my most hated Bearcat of all time, but I just was never confident when he was shooting the ball. <laughs> I think you're right. I think there are people who have Jihad Muhammad as one of their least favorite Bearcats of all time. But he's also, I think there's the other end of it where he was bouncy. He kind of had a fun style. He had the the, the long dreadlocks that were just kind of a quick identifier for him. Yeah. He was, um, I could see that. You know, I kind of like Jihad Muhammad, and I know people who personally would put him in their bottom bottom five. Um, I'm also looking at, in, and I agree with this, uh, the seating here, but I also find it interesting, the disparity between Gary Clark and Jacob Evans, considering they both had ginormous impacts on their teams, but one is a one seed and another one is down the list at a five seed. Uh, I find that like, interesting, that dynamic of, if you're basing it off of responses yeah. on Twitter, <clears throat> That yep, and, Jacob yep, Evans it, fell that far down. Uh, pe- people just love Gary Clark. I think there's just just his personality, the way he represented Cincinnati, and he did say four years. Evans left. I don't know if that's you know obviously he left for the NBA, so no one should fault him for that. Um, but yeah, no, Gary Clark just got tons of mentions. I mean, even more so than Logan. I mean, so that's that one, two, three, four is straight off mentions on on Twitter. So wow. So Nick Van X was the only one seed who actually was a, a non four-year player. The rest of these guys were four-year yeah. players. Danny Fortson, a three-year guy. Kilpatrick, four-year. Well, five-year, I suppose. Yeah. Um, who else? Melvin Levitt, four-year. Jaron yeah. Cumberland, four-year. Trayvon Trey, Scott, Trey. five-year. So, five. Yeah. yeah Trayvon Scott lot. has a, a difficult matchup coming up here. Ooh. 
Who? He's already out. He's out, man. Got, Jaron Cumberland smacked him. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see I, the, uh, I a, the results of that. Que- I got a lot of questions as to why I put uh, Jaron versus Trey there, and, and it honestly just was dimensions. It Jaron had the eighth most, and, and Trey had the ninth most, so it made Jaron the the you know last number two and Trey the first number three. So. So it rolled out. Yeah, I was watching that matchup closely to see if it was going to be Cumberland or Scott because I felt like if Scott had won that matchup, that would be more based on the last season. Whereas Jaron Cumberland, I look at it as a four-year, just awesome player. So I was glad. I was actually really glad to see him win that yeah, matchup pretty handedly. That that's where I would put Jaron ahead of of Trey. I mean Trey, the last month or two, wow. Right. You know, we weren't. We wouldn't have even been talking about a potential NCAA bid if he doesn't play the way he did. Right, so uh, let's get to the final eight here. Uh, one of these matchups has been resolved. Kenny <coughs> Martin faced off against Jaron Cumberland and yep. destroyed him. And I, Jaron Cumberland, popular, you know, he's going to be remembered for a long time, but he ran up against the e- clear favorite for this tournament. Who, yep. who is in the? Who's in the? Uh, who mo- made it to the elite eight? Uh, I don't. So, I don't see that. <clears throat> yep. So we had Kenyon uh, Kenyon beating uh, Jaron. Um, the matchup that's online right now is Steve Logan versus uh, Sean Kilpatrick. It's 73% Steve Logan so far, but it's early. Um, and then we'll have Nick Van Exel versus Melvin Lovett. That's another 1-2 matchup. And then Gary Clark versus Jason Maxiel. So Max is a three-seed, took out Danny Fortson as a two-seed. Shame. So Shame. it was all 1-2 matchups um, until uh, Maxiel took out Fortson. So it, it was interesting that the the Pat Cummings um, region, and he was a power forward, I believe, or at least a forward. Um, that kind of became the battle of power forwards. Um, you had Clark, you had Max Seal, you had Fortson, and Eric Hicks. So wow. just kind of worked out that way. Wasn't planned, just kind of worked out. And it's so we have a, a split in terms of the Bob Huggins era versus the Mick Cronin era. We have yeah. five, it looks like five players from that Bob Huggins era, and three from Mick Cronin. Which I don't. That doesn't seem all that off. Like I actually would have expected yeah. maybe a, a a worse split based on people having such you know strong feelings about how good the Bob Huggins era was. Uh, but Mick Cronin, obviously. I mean, we've got Gary Clark, Jaron Cumberland, Sean Kilpatrick. That's three really strong representatives from the the thirteen years we had Mick Cronin. Yeah, and, and again, it may be some with with age and who's on Twitter and who's voting. And um, but yeah, I, I think it's a good representation. So who do you, what do you think, Neil? What do you see happening? Because I, w- I think Steve Logan is going to close out that matchup. I'm, I, I foresee a situation where Logan kind of beats Sean pretty handedly. Um, Jason Maxiel, I think he's in trouble against Gary Clark. Yeah. And then uh, the Melvin Levitt-Van Exel matchup, that one's interesting to me. I, I, think, I think Mel can make some noise. Um, I, probably Van Exel you know, pulls it out, but I, I think Levitt can make some noise there. I think Gary Clark's my dark horse as the, the winner. You know, we never root for, for Kenyon going down because we've already seen it once in our lifetimes. But if he were to go down again, I think it's going to be Gary Clark who, who does it. I agree. Yeah, yeah. He again, he, he's wildly popular. I mean, if it becomes Gary versus Van Exel, that, that, that'll be an interesting matchup as well. Yep. Um, again, Van Exel's got a lot of juice to Final Four, the NBA. Uh, but only two years versus Clark's more recent and stayed four years. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I, I like that. I think we were coming running into a Gary Clark versus Kenyon Martin showdown. Uh, Mick Cronin versus Bob Huggins. It's going to be a close matchup. I, I don't think Kenyon's going to blow it out of the water, as, as people might think. 
We need to get like uh, where the final is one of those like UFC wrestling posters. Twitter. <laughs> well, that that's I, fun. It's an awesome tournament, Neil. I, I really appreciate you kind of doing this for the Bearcat fan community. It's been it's been fun to to watch and vote, and it it gives you a chance to just kind of reflect and me- and remember yeah. the good times with all these players that have come through the program. Yeah, no, it's it's been fun to put together. So, what do you think? I'll you know I'll get your opinion on some things. Uh, more current what do you how yeah. how do you feel about the roster for next season the recent additions of Ivanowskis and the julius how are you feeling about all that yeah I, I i think that's that's great i think a lot depends on obviously if keith comes back which would think he would um but don't know and, and if the julius gets a waiver or if they make everybody eligible with the whole transfer thing um but yeah i, th- I think there's talent there that they're going to be young um even if keith is back um but I, I don't think a, I don't see why they couldn't make an NCAA tournament next year if, if Keith is back, if the Julius is playing. Um, it just depends on how Brandon. I, I think what would be interesting is the front court. I know you guys have talked about it a little bit, and um, you know whether vote starts or Mamadou or or whatever the case may be. But if you if you have vote Mamadou rap, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's going to call him rap. Um, <laughs> And Tari Eason coming in, um, you know, that's, that's four guys for, for those two spots, plus maybe Davenport. Um, I'm assuming Prince isn't going to be there. I don't know. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how they, they rotate that, that front court. Um, I, I think we're pretty, you know, got a lot of guards. But I agree. I feel like the we'll see who starts at guard, right? Like I expect yeah. Micah's going to retain his position. Whether it ends up being Zach Harvey or DeJulius, we'll see. Uh, in terms of that next guard spot, Keith Williams, if he comes back, is clearly going to be at the three. Sure. Um, now, the front court, I'm on, I've am on. i gone on the record saying that if, if it's me, if I'm running the team, and, and I by no means am, am uh, at the level of John Brandon in terms of knowledge <laughs> of basketball, but I do like Mamadou Diara starting at the five uh, next next to Ivanowskis. Like if we're, if we're bringing in a guy like Ivanowskis, you would expect we're planning on giving him pretty significant minutes. I think yeah. that Mamadou's impact defensively is more important than what Chris Vogt brings on, in the post offensively because we know that Chris struggles on the rebounding. Uh, he yeah. has struggled defensively. Uh, that's outsider looking in. That's kind of my perception of what we would do. If you look at the momentum of the end of the season, we were clamoring for Trey Scott to be playing the five. He did such a great job playing that post role, and it was almost as the teams had figured out Chris Vogt and, you know, if you just put pressure on him or double teamed him, he became very ineffective late, later down the, down the road. And you saw those minutes decreasing for him. So this offseason is going to be huge for Chris Vogt because he's going to have to do a lot of development in order, I think, to retain that, especially when you bring in a guy like Ivan Auskis, who, you know, he's he's an offensive tool. He can be used anywhere on the court, down low in the post, and he can spread it out and hit threes. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think the. The, the comebacks we saw against Temple and in South Florida, um, you know, Mamadou was on the court for a lot of that. I think they kind of created a, a lineup that went a little faster, spread it out a little bit more. Um, I mean, Vogt started every game, right, or almost every game. So it'd be interesting if, if, if this, that starting spot's taken away from him. Um, I, I think he is limited. He, he, you know, he shoots from, what, three feet, and that's about it. Right. Uh, but he's effective if he gets the ball down there. I mean, that's – don't want to bash him too much he was the first half of the season would have been a whole lot worse if, if vote wasn't playing the way that he did very true um, he's, he's got 100%. he's incredible at finishing around the rim uh he even finished strong with some dunks i mean what he did offensively was overall a win for the team 
uh, it just kind of went off the rails there at the end of the season. And maybe it was fatigue. Maybe it was, uh, you know, some... Uh, some the different... shoulder injury, right, or something I heard? Yeah, also, there might have been maybe. an injury in there. So, you know, it's maybe a, an off-season of getting healthy, of working out. And, yeah. and honestly, it's even hard to do that at this point, given everybody's isolated in their dormitory, not working out with the team. Sure. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. How, you know, we've got you another fan perspective here on the podcast. Let's just go back. Like, how was year one for you with Coach John Brandon? Um, up and down, I think. So I was um, I, I, I was in St. Thomas for, for that tournament. And, and, boy, those were three games. I, yeah, three games I wouldn't want to relive. Um, <laughs> fun, fun, fun going there. If anyone ever has a chance to do one of those tournaments. I was in Caymans a few years ago, too. Those are just fun, how close you can get to the players and everything. Um, but, yeah, I, that – everyone said keep waiting keep waiting for the system and i i think he did a smart thing that he um maybe he was a little stubborn trying to put a system in um when it didn't fit the players and i think he quickly figured out that jaron needed to lead the team and need to have the ball in his hands and that, that obviously changed our season um so but i'm excited for the future i'm excited for him getting um his type of players some shooters in and can really put that system in i think you saw it a little bit you saw in the south florida game i know that we got down big, but came back, and that was, you know, Jaron was, you know, hurt and didn't play. Um, so Mom, I'm, Mamadou in the, at the five. Mamadou at the five, yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty excited for the future. Um, again, this year is, you know, we're probably a, a, a bubble team, even if the Julius gets a waiver and Keith comes back, I think, uh, just because we're so young. I, I could see us struggling at the start of the season as well, depending on what the schedule looks like. And, again, hopefully there is a season. That's first and foremost. True. Um, but I, I think that it may be a little bit of a struggle early with all the new guys. Again, we're having, what, six, maybe seven if somebody else comes in, new guys, same as we had last year. So big roster turnover. Um, hopefully you see improvement out of Micah, Zach, and I think you will, Mamadou. Um, yeah. No, it's uh, it's going to be a fun team to cover. You know, I, Hummer and I have been speculating, and it's – I think you're right. I think bubble team to maybe – if DeJulius gets a waiver – I feel like we're going to be talking more about like this should be a tournament team, um, but it, it's going to be more. I think it's way more unknown. There's so many more unknown commodities. How big of a, a leap does Zach Harvey take? Does Mike? What kind of improvement do we see see from Micah? Is Jeremiah Davenport someone who can play more consistent minutes? I mean, there's a lot of big unknowns on next year's team. Yeah. Say so. Yeah. We haven't talked about a team in this from this you know, view viewpoint in a while where we have such large amounts of young players on the roster. And we're to that point where we now need to see that incremental increase in productivity. Like for instance, Micah Adams woods is probably going to be, if I had to take a guess, a pro, one of the primary ball handlers again, he's going to have to make that, that transition into, you know, he's not going to be make, you know, a 19, 20 point a guy, a game guy, but he needs to be in that, you know, 10, 9, 10, 11 points per game. You're going to have guys like Jeremiah Davenport, who you need to see some growth from Zach Hart. Everybody's going to have to take that step yeah. up. And, you know, a guy like the Julius, where I think the question mark is, is that he's going into that junior year. And we talk about this all the time. That junior year is where you make that big leap in how is he going to be doing that while he's coming through this transition? Not only that, doing this transition without being in the gym, without being working, without working out with his coach. So I think there's going to be a lot unknowns. The only other aspect to this too is every other team is going through the same exact thing. 
Yep. You know, every other team is not working out with their coaches. They're not going into the gyms and working out as a team. You know, so I think next year's college basketball is going to be a wilder ride than what this year was. Yeah, and that, that may give some advantage to teams that don't have a lot of turnover, right? Uh, like Houston, if, if the guys are back at Houston, that's pretty much the same team. I think they graduated one senior on their big guys. Um, so that, that core group played all season together. Um, where UC is going to have a lot of new guys and um, Brandon's still trying to install his system overall. So, you know, Wichita State, I guess, has all new guys because most of the team left, right? So maybe that's <laughs> disadvantage for them too. Yeah, and, and uh, Memphis lost some key players as well. Prince won't be yeah. back. They're, they're not getting yeah. Jalen Green. So I think the Bearcats have put themselves in position to compete for the top three next year in the American Athletic Conference if things all break right. Um, Houston is obviously the clear-cut favorite in our conference next season. I mean, they were a, a beast this year. Uh, I, I figured next year with some of these guys taking another step, they're going to be tough. Yeah, I, I would agree that they they were a beast this year, but they uh, they were not the number one seed in the AAC tournament. <laughs> remind them of that. You're right. You're right. That's the Bearcats. We made the tournament yeah. for the 10th consecutive year. I agree. And then won the national championship. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yes, what, what, what a ride. <laughs> what a ride. All right, Neil. <laughs> uh, any, other, any other things that you want to want to uh, share with everybody or, or bring up on the podcast here? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Just uh, go Bearcats. All right, man. Appreciate this. Appreciate the fan favorite tournament. We will be watching closely as we see who ends up winning this thing. The final is going to be this week, right? Uh, yeah, I think it'll be Friday. So it'll be okay. one, one matchup per day. Figure might as well drag it out a little bit since we're all stuck at home. Please do. We're desperate for content. <laughs> and uh, and we'll, uh, we'll watch carefully. Like I said, my prediction, uh, Kenyon Martin versus Gary Clark in the final. Kenyon Martin barely squeaks it out. Gary, 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 Gary. All right, Kenyon. Kenyon's my personal favorite, so I'd be voting for Kenyon in that one, but we'll see. Good stuff. Well, hey, Neil, we need to uh, dedicate this episode to a former Bearcat. I'm going to let you do the honors. Well, I, I will do it to a player who got upset in this tournament, but is one of my all-time favorites, and that's Pete Michael. Yes, I love it. Uh, so, and, and, if, and if folks haven't, not to um, advertise for another podcast, but if you haven't heard the Alex Meacham interview with uh, Pete Michael, please go and do that. That was a great interview. Yeah, He's in the front office with the Washington Wizards, played over in Europe till he was, I think, 39. Uh, but he was, he got overshadowed on, on that team because of how great Kenyon was. And, um, but, and, you know, and DeMar Johnson coming in, everybody. But he, he was such a solid player, slasher, um, winner, you know, got, got his points, uh, could score from anywhere on, on the court. So, uh, Yancey Gates upset him in the second round, but um, that's mind blowing. Um, we should have talked yeah. about that one. I, I don't. I, think... I, I think. I think that some people actually commented, "I'm voting for Yancey because he punched Kenny Freeze." <laughs> Personal and I mean, hero. And, and, and I mean, okay, I, I get that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, well, I, I like the quad. It's the quad squad. It's the <laughs> it's the quad squad mentality with Yancey Gates. <laughs> No, that's an awesome dedication. Uh, definitely go check out that interview that Meech did with with uh, Michael. Uh, he's a uh, he's he's definitely had an interesting career. He was super successful abroad playing basketball. Oh yeah, and is now doing some really cool things with the Wizards. So, um, yeah. great dedication, great player. Also, someone I that I hold near and dear to my heart in terms of Bearcat legends. So, oops, sorry, Hummer, I said legends. Um, <laughs> we will. Uh, 
We'll let you go, you Neil. Know, Thanks legends, again. Legends can work if they are actual legends. If they're legends, okay. Like, <laughs> so, like, we were talking about this, too, since we're talking, like, fan perspective. Someone was put at one of those quarantine house of UC legends, and they had okay. Luke Fickle as a legend. And I'm like, Luke Fickle isn't a legend He's yet. Not yet. He hasn't even won the conference. All he did was not go to Michigan State. Well, for UC football, that may make you a legend. <laughs> That's true. Oh, I mean, you had... Uh, this is not, good. Not for, that this I'm is good foreshadowing for a future podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, because like Brian Kelly, I would say, even though he's infamous, would have more legend status because he did go to two BCS goals. Yeah. Bowls. Then and Luke Fickle has not gone to a New Year's Six bowl. Hopefully hey, this year. I understand. I get it. I get. Hey, it. I have standards for what makes a legend. <laughs> I think you're going to upset some people, but I get it. All right, Neil. Appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll, right. we'll watch. And uh, thanks again for coming on the Cincy Slanging Podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. Go Bearcats. See you. Yeah, go Bearcats.